Well, the coronavirus hiatus presses on, but it's week number five on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. The whole crew is here virtually this week. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Hanging in there. Loving the living room life. <laughs> I think you guys are all doing better than I am with the uh, with the social distancing and the, and, and the quarantine, but... Really, you know, I, I think one of the things that kills me every weekend, one of our good friends sent out the entire schedule uh, with his own take on the location of, of where the game is, and, and none of those have gotten removed from my calendar. I got an alert earlier today that today's game would be kicking off at the world's largest outdoor bar uh, in San Jose, <laughs> <laughs> which is where we should all be right now. Uh, but we'd get to see Wando. Yeah, we definitely would have been at this game because it would have been Wanda's last potential time playing in DC, obviously, post-game notwithstanding. And man, am I sad that he's leaving and was I looking forward to this game, so. You know, I had an opportunity to visit the uh, the San Jose Stadium last year. Didn't get to go to the game and actually was supposed to hit it this year. Didn't end up happening, but I think it's definitely on the list for places I need to visit and hopefully can get a show from there at some point. Yeah, we, we've kind of hit on, like, what does this mean for player transfers? But we, we haven't really brought up, what does this mean for player retirements? I mean, Wanda was, it, it seemed like the Earthquake's Twitter account was talking about all of one last time and all that. Is it no more for Wanda? Or does he do it again because his body had a year to rest or, or you know, a long offseason to rest? My last memory of Wanda is him scoring against us at Audi Field. So, I mean, at least it was nice to see him score. You know, he can ride off into the sunset for DC United supporters in that way. Yeah, I, I feel like he'll he'll stay another year. I mean, obviously, yeah, it depends on what, like, MLS does with the rest of this season. Obviously, um, you know, if they're able to somehow, like, squeeze the entire season in or they remake it so there's still, like, an official 2020 season, you might call it quits. But if they end up just saying, like, no season this year, we're just going to start off with 2021 like he's such a passionate dude and he lives and breathes like San Jose and playing soccer. And I could like totally see him sticking around for another year. Yeah. Seeing him in the uh, supporter section last year for the, uh, the red card suspension, he was sitting out and shirt off amped up just like any other supporter. It was pretty amazing. Oh yeah. He was in the supporter section for that game. It was awesome. Yeah. It, I guess yeah, we're he's... fortunate that we don't really have any folks like that in, on the DC roster who are potentially doing a victory lap before heading off into the sunset. So. Yeah, but I remember, I thought it was interesting when Wanda was in the supporter section because I I, I want to say it was a spindle or somebody marched in with the Barra Brava when they were on a red card suspension in RFK like years ago. And then they had to be escorted out of the stadium. They like weren't allowed to be in the stadium grounds. So it was like, I absolutely loved all that Wanda did. Like that, I love Wanda. That made me so happy to see but it was really interesting that he was like kind of allowed to even do that because DC United players haven't been allowed to in the past. Is there, I yeah. mean, that's totally what I would do. You know, if, if you're allowed, right. I mean, just you go sit with the crazies and, and you, you, you cheer on the team. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? And, and I mean, I think it would be really, really hard on a player to, to miss a game, but I think having to be secluded, you know, upstairs somewhere or even just not at the ground, that would be tough. It, it, I, I mean, I love away days. So, like, could you imagine you, you're suspended for an away day, like at Red Bull or something, and and the player like joins and is in is in the crowd? Like, oh, that'd be awesome. I love it. This is making me sad to talk about. <laughs> we should all be in California right now. 
you know, speaking of, of sad things to talk about, um, we, we do need to discuss season two of Sunderland till I die, which, which dropped last week on Netflix. What a transition, John. <laughs> speaking of things that make you want to cry. It was just as devastating. You know, I, I remember, you know, to me watching the first season, I was like, all right, I'm going to start following Sunderland a little bit. Like I don't have another league one team. Um, so I, I tracked him a bit through last year and, and, you know, of course they were on top most of the season, you know, playing really well on, on track for promotion and, boy the wheels came off and and i think to me watching it watching the show that way i mean the the new ownership came in they they tried to do everything they could to to right the ship financially i think they did uh and then you look at you know what the the product on the field at the end of the season and you just you feel for those fans except for maybe black that's the beauty of the documentary it's not so much you don't have to be a sunderland fan to to really enjoy it the the netflix crew does a great job of catching the passion and just the the struggle of the town and the supporters and, and as soccer fans, we can kind of relate to that. Just like the wanting the team to do better, the being fully behind the guys on the pitch. And, and so you get invested in Sunderland because you're invested in like the characters. I know, I know some of the supporters that they like focus on by name, like the taxi driver and Andrew, the like veteran that supports them. It's, it's an amazing documentary. It's fun to watch. And sad. <laughs> you know, as a Newcastle fan, I am fine to see the the suffering there. It'd be very similar to watching one of our rivals go down and you know deal with those issues. But uh, I do think that when the show was initially pitched as, "Hey, this is Sunderland's opportunity to you know, go for glory and make their way back to the Premier League," and things just have not gone that way for them at all, it, it makes for some great feelings. It does. And it makes you feel for like the Sunderland fans. Like uh, we definitely have a very close Sunderland fan friend um, who's a post Community Goal 7. And I texted him twice watching the documentary just saying like, how do you live through this? Like, I don't understand how like, you know, it's no secret that DC United has brought heartbreak in the past several years. So I was like, how do you go from DC United to watching Sunderland? That's heartbreaking. Um, and then Joshua and I were watching the final and he said like, you should text Evan. Like how does with this and I was like oh I've already texted him twice like it's it's heartbreaking and it, it makes me happy almost that I'm not a fan of them and having to go through like I can sit through a six episode documentary of it but having to live the whole season like that would be rough yeah and I, I think what what kind of sums it up for in my experience the best you know when I was in Newcastle in, in January this year just you know kind of at a random game hanging out in in, in the strawberry which is one of the the pubs right by the stadium there and, and just talking to fans kind of getting to know you know what what life is like in newcastle and and it was four out of four of the group that i was talking to all they wanted was for sunderland to come back up so we they could start playing sunderland again so that they could beat them you know they're like it's it's fine that they're down and it's laughable right but like the fact that we don't get a derby every year it, it sucks yeah. you know like for a year it's cool but then now they're two leagues he's like it's going to be years till we we regularly play them again and it sucks um, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. If Red Bull like somehow just like tanked and like pulled a Miami Fusion and just dissolved, I think I would find some joy in that. But then, like you said, there would be no Darby's or you know, there would be no Red Bull trip to go on or, or hosting Red Bull and knocking them out of the playoffs, watching them not win another cup ever. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, it, would you rather see Red Bull uh, get? "Quote unquote relegated, right? And and we we may need to spend some time on on pro rel in a future episode. Uh, w- but would you rather see them, you know, get relegated and 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 laugh at the pain of that, 
or would you rather play them a couple times a year and and just regularly beat them? I mean, it, and I'd love to love to hear what the, the listeners have to say uh, using the hashtag Tried and True DCU. But to you guys, well, you know, what are your thoughts? I think we need to clarify that the Rebels haven't actually won a cup. They won yeah, yeah, yeah not, not another. Not that just, in and of itself is a joy, enjoyable. So yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Mostly, they, they've had the better a better run of form against us recently, but they still haven't. You know, stars are all that matter, right? Yeah, yeah, and they don't have any. So, well, uh, I think for me, I w- would rather beat them in, into a pulp every year and have them, you know, hanging on the border of relegation. Uh, you know, watching them suffer in the top league is better than keeps the rivalry alive for me. Yeah, they can't have tarps over seats that we can laugh at. You know, if, they're, if we don't get to play them every year, you know. <laughs> Very true. They just make it so easy. So yeah, it'd be sad if they took that away from us being able to choose them. And imagine if they were playing in you know USL League One or you know, whatever the top league is, uh, and were able to win a championship there and get promoted back up. You know, we'll talk about Pro Well another show. That could be a show in itself for sure. But uh, imagine them winning a championship in one of those leagues and trying to claim that as a, a league title. It's, they totally would. From what I've recently seen on Netflix, though, it's not as easy as you think to just win a lower league and come right back up. Apparently, you can lose at Wembley twice in one season. Okay, so that's all. Breaking fashion, too. <laughs> Both times. Yeah. Brutal. Oh, kind of like yeah. uh, Red Bull putting a free kick over the bar in the playoffs and not hitting a penalty after having the keeper sent off. Shocking. Oh, you gotta love it. Oh, so I, I guess I it. Mean, Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, I mean, transitioning to something happy that you can watch on Netflix, um, <laughs> the English game. We've like kind of mentioned it a couple times, but I just need to keep coming back to it because it is so much fun to watch. Have you all seen it? It's on my list, but I've not watched it yet. I I, I apologize. I'll I'll get on that. That'll be my homework for this week. Yeah, well, it's definitely hard. it's definitely more of a you know period drama than it is a uh, a documentary of uh, excellent soccer. I think we already talked a little bit about the horrendous goalkeeping, but yeah. it does take you back. You know, unfortunately, of course, there's no recordings or anything you can see from a bunch of grown men playing U8 bunch ball soccer, kicking the ball around. But, <laughs> uh, I think it would be fascinating to look more into that. So I, I do appreciate them putting that uh, that piece together. And yeah, it. it like definitely has enough soccer to like keep the soccer fan interested. And I like love history, so it really talks about the history of like why soccer players started going pro because the whole premise is that it used to be like a gentleman's game and the mere thought of paying someone to play soccer was absolutely ridiculous so it's so interesting to kind of hear that and to see that play out um but then it also you know it's it's also not like fully soccer so if anyone listening if you um are like social distancing with someone who's not necessarily a soccer fan you know it might be a good pitch to that person that they would also enjoy watching this um because it is very much like a period drama um that kind of anyone can get into soccer things aside yeah you know another one that's that's on my list that's been out for five or six years now but i've not seen it yet um abby and i were actually talking about the hillsborough disaster earlier uh today and, and i looked up that hillsborough the what started as a 30 for 30 or several 30 for 30s or something like that. And it is actually a full length movie is on ESPN plus. Um, so that's on my short term viewing list. Um, 
another. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll talk about it later too. But uh, seeing kind of the early origins of the football association in England, you know, and comparing that, you know, obviously MLS had its own challenges, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the later segment. But uh, you know, it really was fascinating to see as they were fleshing it out. At that point, they didn't even have a common set of rules until the football association set that down. So. Uh, a very different kind of uh, world there. Yeah, so I would would recommend to anyone listening, uh, but I think we have some other things coming up um, that can kind of keep you occupied in this elongated social distancing. Yeah, if you're, you've already got some shows ongoing, you don't feel like jumping into the English game or Sunderland until I die, uh, we're going to have a FIFA 20 tournament. We've already talked to the guys over at RFK Refugees and they'll both be in it. We need a, a few more people to join the join the ranks and, and fill out this bracket. So just message us on any of our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail. Uh, you have our stuff uh, if you follow us uh, and let us know that you're interested in, and we'll contact you and, and work the details. Of it. And I think it has to be Xbox, right? And that was why some of the other podcasts and some of the other people putting out some DC content, DCU content right now couldn't find us because they had it on different platforms. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, and uh, we, we, we've talked a little bit to the, the front office, our, our contacts at the front office about maybe promoting the game and getting on the official DC United Twitch account, which would be really, really cool. We're trying to bring in DC United's uh, official EMLS player, Muhammad, to maybe play the final. So we uh, we, we got to fill out a good bracket and have a good competition, and, and hopefully we can make that happen. Because uh, yeah. I know that's, that's been uh, exciting to watch uh, some of those games over, over the break here. Yeah, I'm I've never been a guy to watch a whole lot of you know Twitch streams or, or live video games, but I have been enjoying watching Muhammad's streams and you know, seeing some of the stuff that DC puts out, uh, some of the friendlies he's been, he's been playing. I guess it's just a, a sign of how starved for soccer and for sports in general I am. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think the USL has lost uh, an E-Cup where they have soccer players playing Rocket League, which is like a car soccer video game. It's... And it's on ESPN3. Like, I, I tuned in ESPN3 live, and, and there's a Charleston battery player playing a Greenville Triumph player in Rocket League. And they're terrible, too, because they're actually, like, soccer players who, like, don't sit around and play video games. So it's, like, seven to three, like, lopsided victories. It's, yeah, so much, so, so much star for content. And, and I guess it's just these guys are on contract and have nothing better to do. Uh, speaking of that, MLS... Uh, extended to their training moratorium through April 24th. So uh, I know I've seen Julian Gressel on Instagram talking about, I just put on boots and ran down the national mall to do sprints because I can't get on the soccer field. It's crazy times we're in right now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting to me to see how some of the different leagues are handling this now, you know, around the world. I, I think, you know, we're not at a point yet in the U.S. where I think anybody's willing to commit to anything. But, uh, you know, Germany's got players training again already. I saw some reports uh, earlier today in England that some teams are going to be back training uh, in early May in hopes of returning in June. And so MLS going th- – they seem to kind of continue to be pushing it back increments at a time, which, you know, makes sense for, for not really knowing exactly where this is going to go. But um, I, I don't think they're going to be back training on 25 April if I had to bet. Yeah, yeah there's, there's cop cars right now around Lincoln Park, making sure that people don't hang out in the park too long. So I doubt they're gonna, you know, allow people to like officially join together to conduct work out in public like that. It's yeah, it's 
Well, and you know, MLS is kind of a different league from some of the other ones. You know, I think the the plan for the Bundesliga, from what we've heard, is that they're looking at coming back with empty stadiums. You know, for a league like MLS that depends so much on revenue from having you know, fans in the stands supporting there, and most of the players we've talked to have shared that they would rather wait and make sure that you can get as many fans in the stands as you can. It's uh, it's definitely a challenge for them. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about that earlier today, and, and I, I was reading an article, um, West Morgan, uh, Captain Lester, when they won the title, and, and he's still on the team, and, and he was talking to the, the local paper in, in Leicestershire about when this first happened, he was a, he just, he sounded just like, you know, Fred and, and, uh, you know, Griff, some of the folks we've talked to about, like, we want to wait until fans can be back in the stand. They're a big part of the game. Like we're not playing football behind closed doors. And just as recently as this week, you know, he's kind of changed his tone a little bit about, you know, this could be really good for the country and for the world. If we can get some games in, like it could be a big morale boost. You know, that's something that us as footballers could do to really kind of like help everyone through this time. And while of course it's not ideal, um, you know, that, it, it might be it might be a good option, it, which is it's definitely different than, than what he said a month ago. And so I'm I'd be interested to see if, you know, other athletes here in the US change their mind on some of those those thoughts as well. But you know, as we've talked about before, MLS very, very different uh, operating model than the Premier League, right? I mean, they're they're not gonna be able to do games behind closed doors for an extended period of time. I wonder if there's a chance they could get one of those big TV deals, though. Like I said, ESPN3 is showing Rocket League for the USL. I wonder if, I mean, Fox Sports and ESPN are just playing highlights and classic games. So maybe they could throw in a quick deal together and then keep these teams, you know, very compact. Don't have them seeing anyone but their families and each other. And maybe that would make up for the loss at the gate. I don't know. MLS on primetime would be pretty fun. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think we're just going to have to wait and see, you know, the U S is a little bit behind um, Europe and China and all them and kind of how, when the virus came over and how we're dealing with it. Um, And I mean, the Virginia, um, like kind of what they've said, they've asked people to kind of shelter in place until June. Um, I think it's June 10th. Um, and I don't know if DC and Maryland have officially done the same thing, but they, we've all kind of been in the same kind of timeline in that. Um, so, I mean, not even taking into account, like the entire country kind of has to be on the same page of this, right? Like that's going to be something in and of itself, even just DC. Just a lot larger geographic area to cover than, you know, like England or even Germany, right? I mean, it's just, I I think there's parts of the U S that haven't really seen significant case counts yet and so i you do wonder as a country just how long this is going to drag on did you guys see the the major league baseball proposal of what they might be trying to do they're, they're, yeah. they're thinking about just playing out the season in the what is it the, the grapefruit and the i forget what the, the arizona league is uh, but basically the spring training leagues and they do it all in their spring training sites all in those stadiums the florida teams play against the florida teams the, the arizona teams play against the arizona teams and then the world series is is you know the the winners of of both leagues, but that would totally shatter American League and and, and National League, right? I mean, it's just kind of random. Uh, so it'd be interesting, but that might be what they have to do to like get baseball this year. Well, and, and that's and that's tough. I mean, you're going to have a lot of asterisks around this year in general, no matter what the sport is. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I really want to see MLS go that way. But you're right when you talk about a league with a national footprint. You know, perhaps one area, you know, the, the case counts go down and, you know, they start getting somewhat back to normal, but 
in order to be able to play a league where you're traveling across the country every week, you know, that, that's a whole other challenge in itself. Yeah. And then it's kind of on the league to say like, okay, maybe in New England, you know, everybody is being able to get back to normal, but in, you know, Seattle, everyone is still needing shelter in place. So nobody can train. You know what I mean? It's not just on your city when your city allows you to start training because that's kind of, you know, unfair if you're letting one team train together two weeks ahead of potentially when another team is able to. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And um, it's it's definitely something that um, we had we had the opportunity to talk a bit uh, to O'Neill Fisher uh, about yesterday, and we had we have an interview uh, with him that we're going to play for you guys uh, here after the break. Uh, we, we had a great time talking to O'Neill, and uh, after that, we've got a few more topics to to hit today. I'm sure we'll engage some some lively discussion, uh, but for now, we'll throw it to break. And when we come back, we'll have O'Neill Fisher right here on Tried and True, the DC United Post Game Podcast, presented by Heineken. <laughs> DC United defender has been on the team for a couple years now and made a great comeback uh, just a couple weeks ago against Air Miami. Who's the football? We're super excited to have you on. Welcome to the show, Neil. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on the show. So, I, first things first, you know, how, how are you and the family doing? You know, right now while we're we're all facing this COVID nineteen pandemic, are you guys healthy and and uh, staying sane? Yeah, everyone is doing well. Um, Staying safe while you know working out, staying fit. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Um, it seems like we do this show weekly, and it seems like every time we get on, MLS um, pushes back when they expect the season to start. So it looks like 
we're now on pause through April 24th. Um, so how does that affect your workout schedule? I mean, we just got to just continue doing the same. I mean, our same daily schedule that um, um, the team organized and, and sent to us. And that's all we can do for now. We don't have really control over anything else. We just have to keep working and, and hopefully um, hope for the best to come um, that the league can start resume soon, you know. Yeah, uh, O'Neal, we heard that, that your little son, uh, O'Neal III, is your workout partner during this hiatus. How has that been? And, uh, is it is it similar to working out with DC United players? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's been pretty tired after the workouts. Though. I mean, <laughs> after, after at least one workout, he got to take like a couple days off. You know? <laughs> 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 he's sore. Yesterday I did some ass workout with him. And he, he was feeling it. <laughs> you could see it on his face. But, I mean, uh, it's been pretty good, you know. He's, he's, he's liking it. Did you get him to do the uh, the Talons workout tapes with you? Not yet, no. <laughs> Not yet. I, I got to do that one. Sounds like you got a budding super straw in your hand. You know, you mentioned that uh, the eagerness to get back out in the field. And, you know, us as fans, we all share that same excitement to get you all back out there. Uh, for you, do you want the lead to come back as soon as possible, whether there's fans in the stands or not, or do you want them waiting until uh, you can get uh, a full crew out there uh, filling the stadium for the games? I mean, I think it's, it, it wouldn't be right to, to play without fans. You know I mean, you guys are a big part of the whole setup, so you know, we can't do it without you guys either. So I think we should definitely wait and um, wait for everything to be cleared up and, and so we can get back to normal um, you know playing situations instead of just going out there um, two teams no no fans no support nothing, nothing. so I think it's, it's, it's definitely better to wait um, for everything to be back to normal yeah so we you know particularly for you it was right at the the tail end of your your long road to recovery and and, and finally making that MLS appearance again, um, just a, a little over a month ago now, and and you know the the team put together an awesome series. Um, you know, kind of having you unfortunately have to relive the injury and and all the surgeries and the recovery process. But what was that like for you to to talk through that? You know, during training camp this year, kind of as the anticipation built for your return, and then you know ultimately culminating um, with the game against Miami. I mean, it was it was super tough and. There was a lot of thoughts and, and you know a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of you know frustration that went into everything that I was doing. But um, the most important thing was um, for me was staying focused and um, work on me and, and make sure that I was doing everything necessary to uh, get back on the field because I knew what I wanted and you know where I wanted to get back to. So. I was, it was super important to to get all that um, done and, and and be able to get back out there again with the team and, and especially playing in front of the fans as well, you know. But it was super emotional for me, um, the whole process, and just because of, you know, all the hardship I went through, and, and not just with injuries but other stuff as well. So I had to, uh, you know, just stay mentally strong and focused and know that... Um, it's hard, but it won't last forever. You know, it's just it's just a little 
um, a hump in the road that I have to get over and just know that it happens, it's life, and I just have to accept the fact that, you know, I'm already in the situation and, and move forward with everything else. I can relive what happened each day that I was going through my, you know, recovery state, you know, so, I mean, leading up to a Miami game, I, I was well prepared, um, I think for the most part, as I was telling Claudia, like, you know, my, my mindset was already, you know, once my number called, um, I'll be ready and, and I'll be dialed in to, to go and put in the shift. And I think I, I think I accept the challenge and I did, I did my thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's great. DC United fans are obviously really excited to um, have seen you back on the field against Miami. Um, and all that you said are things that we kind of hear when players give interviews about their injuries. That it's obviously really um, difficult. You're not able to do your job and do the thing that you love. So did you find kind of camaraderie with other players who had gone through injuries? And now, you know, we know Paul Ariola's injured. Have you been talking to him and kind of helping him through all those emotions that he's feeling now? I mean, we haven't really uh, talked a lot about the injury, but um, when he first got injured, um, we kind of talked a little bit um, just about how he's doing, how he's feeling, mentally where he's at and stuff like that. But we haven't, since that, we haven't really talked about um, the whole process and all that because I don't, I don't think he was, I don't think he's really having to deal with like majority of the stuff that I had to deal with. So, I mean, it's a little bit, I feel, I feel like it's a little bit um, easier for, for Paul at the moment um, because he didn't really have to do uh, any follow-up surgeries or any of that. So I think he is, he is doing pretty fine right now with his stuff mentally. Um, and I think uh, for most part what I've seen on, on this page and stuff, he, he's pretty positive and you know, being positive about everything. He's doing his workout and stuff. I've, I've been following him, but I haven't really said much, you know. Because some of the times I think, you know, people just need, especially when you're in, in a situation like that, some of the times you need a little bit of space to kind of, you know, reflect and, and, and kind of see, you know, how you're going to get get out of this and, and, and get over it, you know. Because um, I, I definitely took some time away from from uh, everyone when I when I got in. I was just like, I didn't want to talk, really. I just wanted to, you know, go in and do my work and, and that's it. Some days I'll feel happy, some days I'm down. And the emotions are all over the place. It's like mixed emotions. So um, I, I get the fact that um, we basically, um, he's going through basically similar injury that I, you know, that I, I went through. And I know some of the times he probably didn't even want to hear like all that, um, that motivational stuff. And because um, you know, I didn't really want to hear it all the time or every time. So I kind of needed to just focus and and figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to get over it and get back to it. Yeah, you know, we, it, it seems like every injury is different and every player deals with injury differently. Uh, would you say, what, what would you say was the toughest part uh, of, of your process? Was it the mental or, or physical pain during your recovery? Um, I mean, I think both mental and physical go hand in hand because um, the pain, like, I was feeling so much pain, and going and doing these uh, extra surgeries, you know, 
for that to keep going in, keep going in. I had to be mentally tough for that as well. And the pain, the pain, it wasn't even bearable. Like I was, I was in so much pain. I, I was just like, crying senses. And mentally, I had to be strong. You know, like I, like, you know, this pain is not gonna last forever. So, like, I feel like they both, you know, go hand in hand with each other. They, you know, so I don't really differentiate them or put them, you know, in separate. I put them together all the time because. The pain is also a mental, like, it's also mental, like, you have to focus, like, oh, I'm going through this pain, this whole, whole lot of pain right now, and I have to, you know, find a way how to get over it, or, you know, how to just, like, cope with the, the whole pain, but mentally, I had to be strong for that, I think. You know, I think I speak for all of us when I say that we're super impressed that you persevered through that, you know, more than a year out of the game and then you know to finally be able to step back on the field against Miami as a substitute when you got back out there did it feel like you were just going back into you know, the game you'd always known did you feel a little bit different to be back out there in front of the fans what was the that experience like when you, you first stepped back out there uh, at first it definitely felt like you know, it was my first like it was my first time actually like, making my debut again I felt like I was making my debut you know uh, because it it has it, been so long, and I was away from the game so long, I felt like you know, it was definitely my first professional game. <laughs> you know, so um, I mean, the feeling was you know it was it was a different feeling. Like I couldn't even explain it. Like uh, at the end of the game, like I only could you know express my feeling, which which I did. You know, uh, it wasn't really I couldn't really explain how I felt. So uh, at the end of the game, like. I kind of like, you know, I had to take a nail and, and just like soak up all the moment, you know, the whole moment and everything I was laid out and just, you know, let out some tears. You know. Yeah, it's, it's certainly something that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget either. I, I, I recall very distinctly seeing you, you know, go to the ground after the game, just, you know, caught up in, in, in the emotions and was super excited for you. You know, you came over and, and, and got right in front of the supporter section in, in front of us and was, you know, loving the crowd. And, and um, I, I actually awarded you man of the match post game uh, on, on our show uh, just because I was so excited uh, to, to see you back. And so obviously not long after that game, global pandemic hits and, and the leagues around the world are shut down. Uh, so w- what does it look like for you, you know, fitting back into this side, you know, once we're playing again? What, what do you see your role being? Um, I think right now I'm just – I haven't even got, to, got that far as yet. Um, I just, you know, I just I just want to keep working right now. And, you know, whatever it play out to be, um, when we get back out there, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always do what I need to do to – stay in the team or, or be a part of the team, you know, so um, that's the only part I have control of, you know, um, basically just doing what I can do best, and, and that is going out there, giving my all, my all every day, each and every time I step out there for the, for the team, and, you know, family, you guys, you know, so, I mean, right now I'm just, I'm just, you know, working at home, just working, as, as probably most of the guys are doing right now, you know. Just trying to stay fit, trying to stay focused, and, and as soon as this is over, then you know we'll see where it go from there. But for now, I'm just focused on staying, you know, strong and, and make sure I'm, I'm working on my knee because I, I have to continue to 
work hard, even though, um, you know, I, I already got over my injury, but, you know, it's, it's the whole reconstruction to my knee, so I have to work constantly on my knee each day. Yeah, and it sounds like you've got a great focus on, you know, the task in front of you and really taking it day by day, because that's really all you can do, you know, kind of shifting conversation to looking forward a bit, you know, for our listeners who don't know, you're a Jamaican international, made a couple of appearances. Uh, you think the uh, reggae boys are going to qualify for the World Cup this time around? I mean, I've, I've been playing since I was 17. Um, right now, we have a good squad, um, good, good group of guys, um, a good pool of guys. So I think there's definitely, you know, a lot of chance for us to, to, to make it, you know. Um, we... I think we've been we've been doing great over the past three, four, four three to four years. Um, been to the, the Gold Cup three years straight, um, finals back to back. So I mean, it's been it's been great four years for for the team, and and they just have to keep the focus and continue to work hard and strive for better. Because right now, I think we're in the top fifty right now. So, and, that's that's not bad. We're like probably like forty seven, forty eight right now. I think. Yeah, it's been great to see. Yeah, it's been great to see Jamaica do well. Uh, we we've heard uh, some rumblings that you're the locker room DJ. Uh, you got any song recommendations for us or a Spotify uh, playlist to let us know about? Uh, I mostly listen to Jamaican music, so and and African music, uh, Afro beats, but um. I could say my go-to song is uh, Jamil. Uh, his name is Jamil Shepard, uh-huh. and um, his name is Governor Impossible. All right. Yeah. So I listen to those two songs. You know. All right. We'll we'll have to look it up. Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> and those are those are people that I grew up one Jamil I we grew up in the same community. And oh wow the guy governor we went to school together. That's awesome. So yeah, and they're doing pretty great in the music world. So. Yeah, that's pretty that's awesome. Uh we're definitely gonna be looking up those songs um right after we hang out with you. Yeah. Um but before we let you go, we do have a couple more questions. Um so on our last show we had Griffin Yao on um and he said you were one of the hippest guys on the team. So do you think that is an accurate assessment? Yeah, because I'm cool with everybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a people's person. So, you know. Is Griffin as uh, hip as he thinks he is? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the squad. Me, Griff, Moses. And Kevin, he's a young, you know, I'm, I roll with the youngins, so, you know, it's a young squad. <laughs> can they can they all beat you in FIFA, or how, how's your FIFA game? No, nah, my FIFA game is poor. Nah, I don't mess with it. I've I lost to Kevin a couple times. I beat, uh, I beat Moses one time, and then I, I lost to Griffin twice, I think. But, I mean, you know, I don't really play it that much, so, you know. I got an excuse. <laughs> but, yeah. Hope you guys are doing well, though. Yeah, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. We're, we're staying strong. And, and I think our, our last question for you is, is our, our go-to to, to wrap up these interviews. We, we ask everyone to make their case in 30 seconds 
or less why we should get your name on the back of our 2020 DC United jersey? Because I'm, I'm a one of a kind. <laughs> a solid point. I'm, Look. Yeah, that's, that's where it is. I'm one of a kind. I'm rare, so, you know, you don't have too many fishes out there, only a fish, you know. Definitely not it. a lot of 91s either. Yeah, I like a lot of 91 either, so, yeah. You got you to gotta make it. It's a gold number. It's a gold jersey. Got to get it. Got to have it. Need it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us uh, today. Neil, it was great having you on the show. And uh, we'll be right back uh, after the short break here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We are back on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. Great interview and good talking to O'Neill Fisher. He's definitely got uh, a, a lot of fun things to talk about, and I really hope we get to see him uh, in Jamaica at some point, hopefully for a World Cup qualifier. Uh, boy, that would that would be a lot of fun. Uh, so, guys, one of the things that we we've definitely got to talk about here, and uh, you know, before the before the interview with O'Neill, we were talking about the impacts of of coronavirus on leagues around the world, but. One of the things that we've seen recently, um, DC United executives taking some pay cuts, including Coach Ben Olson, deferrals, uh, right, to, to try to save some money in, in the short term, right, in, until the club's making money again when, when games come back. But um, we haven't seen the club commit to support for their game day workers, and they've furloughed almost everyone uh, related to, to Loudoun United except for a couple folks and, and, and already some, some furloughs in the front office. I, I've got some strong opinions, but you know, what, what are your guys' thoughts? 
Yeah, I think it's a tough situation. You know, obviously, you know, for a club like DC United that has historically been underspending and a bit uh, cash strapped, I understand that it's, you know, stretching the resources a bit. But at the same time, you know, especially when you're talking about game day workers, folks who are, you know, kind of on the lower end of the scale when it comes to income, you know, this is a, a major blow to them and something they were expecting to be able to leverage. So, you know, hopefully they can take advantage of some of the programs that are out there and, you know, find a way to, to make it happen for the, the I also make it happen. I, yeah, I also wonder what is happening. I don't know what the advantage would be of not of this not being announced, but I think I saw somewhere that Levian his pay is zero right now. Like he's not making any money. He took a one hundred percent cut. So I mean you would assume that, that money is going towards like these workers, right? Or keeping the stadium or like, you know, not deferring on loans or whatever, but even loans right now are kind of being given forgiveness and things like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the team would gain from not announcing something like this, aside from the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, it has something to do with the way these workers can gain employment. Like you said, there are a lot of like heightened benefits out there right now because of the coronavirus, you know, maybe they're paid until a certain time, but making that go public, you know, would change the type of benefits they get. I have no idea how any of it works, um, but I'd like to think that the team is doing something for these workers. Yeah, and, and DC United's never been the biggest spenders in the league, you know, uh, so I, I kind of saw this coming, right? I, I figured we wouldn't be one of the last teams holding out and paying everyone full salary. I figured this would happen. And honestly, probably some of the, the season ticket managers are like making more on these programs than they were off a of commission when they had nothing to sell. Right. So I, I'm not really surprised. I wish, I wish we had an owner that owned home Depot or the new England Patriots or something like that, but it's just a simple fact that we don't. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, Levian owns a catering company, and speaking as an events professional, like he's also losing money from that revenue right now as well. Right. So, I I feel like it was almost inevitable. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough, and and I mean, I I, I recognize that it's it's somewhat easy for fans, you know, across the world to say we expect the team to pay everyone. You know, it's just the right thing to do. Um, but but I think where I where I would say I would compromise. Um, and and again, this is. This is me saying that I, I want to be a great team on the field and, and win championships, but I also want to be a respectable team off the field. I want to do the right things for our fans, for our staff, for our players. And so if if this, you know, if paying the the, the, the front office staff, the the ticket sales folks, the, the support staff for Loudon, if that means we can't bring in a splashy, you know, summer signing this year, like that's the trade-off, which I don't know if that is the trade-off, but if, if that's what it comes down to, I would take that in a heartbeat, right? Like I'd rather, I'd rather the people who've, who've done, the, you know, put in the time for the club get compensated. That would be my choice. And I think part of that is, I also say that knowing that we don't know what the summer transfer window is even going to look like this year, right? And, and I think that's something that Ben Olsen said in an interview with the league last week was, there might not be much of anything in, in a summer window because who knows when it's going to happen, depending on what, what the European leagues do um, and, and depending on what money's laying around anywhere. I mean, it, players could be on the clubs that they're on for, for a little while right now. Um, but but that, that's kind of my stance. Yeah. Like, I want to do right by the folks who've helped this team, you know, survive the RFK days, move into Audi Field. That would be my John's personal preference. 
Yeah, and I think that the team is trying to do right by everybody right now, not just the employees, but I don't know if you all as season ticket members got that email saying, I, I kind of skimmed it because thankfully I still have my job and I'm able to continue making my season ticket payments, but I think it, it was essentially an offer to kind of defer if you're on a monthly payment plan for season tickets, it was an offer to kind of start deferring those payments um, for a little while. So, you know, there is, I mean, I wouldn't hope that they're making that decision like in lieu of paying people, but also they have to understand that, you know, not just the DC United employees are potentially losing their jobs. People across DC are losing their jobs. And especially, you know, when Audi Field just opened, the team came out and said, um, or I don't know if they officially said this, but their marketing was very much that like they were trying to bolster season ticket membership, um, which obviously every team is willing to do, but there were a lot of supporters um, within all three supporters groups who were kind of saying that they don't have the financial means to be a season ticket member. You know, they go to as many games as they can, but you know, their income being wherever it was, they couldn't commit to fully paying that season ticket price. So that's something, again, the team is hopefully trying to keep, and that's a lot, but they're trying to keep everybody in mind and kind of be good to everybody. And it's just such a balancing. Well, and once you get to a situation where you start rescheduling games in the back half of the season, if you don't get to the 34, you know, hopefully you start seeing refunds to season ticket members, but folks who paid up front or making payments, it, it's a mess. And I do not envy the front office for having to do that. I will say that, you know, this ownership group is the one that did get us into Audi Field into a situation that, you know, is far better than what we've seen for the first 20 some odd years of uh, DC United's existence. So they've done a lot of positive things too. I'm just hopeful that you know, continue to do that moving forward, no matter what the Yeah, crisis. under what the general consensus is though, if it's like, we only potentially play, you know, say they shorten the schedule and you only play every team once. Um, so you don't get all 36 home games, but you don't get a refund, but they were able to pay all their workers and then you potentially get a signing. Like, see, that's where, <laughs> that's what my question is, right? Like if they came out and said, like, we're not going to be able to offer a refund, but all the game day workers are being paid right now. Nobody is half looking at me very happy right now. No, I I, I think we were confused at the the, the thirty six home games. I'm I'm trying to play on uh, you know on, oh. in, in that one, <laughs> but but no, I I totally know what you're saying. And and one of the things that it, that's you know complicated this even more uh, for the team, which by the way I was not tracking uh, that that they're planning to defer season ticket payments if that's something that's needed. So that, that that's great to to hear. And it's again even more challenging hearing just this week that the XFL um, has has pretty much essentially folded. Um, they furloughed fired essentially almost the entire staff including their social media team which led to some very interesting exits um but and they don't plan to return um and so you know obviously thoughts about that the dc united you know sharing a, a field for part of the season with the defenders you know put aside that's money that was in dc united's pocket for this season and, and in theory for several more seasons that's now gone as well um so that, that that's another challenge um it's going to be interesting without the XFL because, you know, we were talking a bit during the break. Now, Audi Field's doors are going to be closed for uh, a, a lot longer. Yeah, I, and I know there's a very, very loud, and I think they're the minority in this situation, that, that thinks that the XFL is terrible. They shouldn't have never graced the field. It was terrible by our owners to even let them touch foot there and, and paint over. But honestly, what, $200 million into a public stadium? Uh, and, and you know, 36 or 
17 home games this season. It's, that's not enough. Uh, there's, there's people in the area that, that that's supposed to be for the community, right? It's supposed to bolster the community. The people that live nearby are supposed to be able to go on game days and get a salary. And I know some of the, the gate workers. I've friends with them on Reddit or, or in the stands with uh, Cheyenne. Uh, the, the, it needs to be a multi-stadium. And I'm kind of sad that um, it's not <laughs> – I'm kind of I'm getting some some yellow cards up. Uh, um, I'm kind of sad that it it's not going to be utilized as, as much as it should anymore. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that when you've got a stadium, you know, as great as Abbey Field is, you need to find a way to leverage that into as many events as you can. You know, what you say you get 17 home games a year plus a couple of exhibitions, maybe an Open Cup game or two. Um, if you're lucky, a couple of national team games, but you're still not even at one game or event a week uh, would love to see the field get utilized and really make it happen like the xfl or not you know i think we all kind of got a little antsy when we saw the football line still out in the field made us feel like we were in new england but it was a tenant for the building and driving people down to that area and making it viable long term is a positive yeah, I for yeah, one am glad to see a Vince McMahon property fail. Uh, you know, I, I get a little bit of enjoyment out of that. It's unfortunate, you know, how it kind of came to be. Uh, but the defenders were were one of the more fun, you know, XFL teams to watch both on the field and, of course, in the fan in the stands. I mean, the beer snake was cool. You know, I say what you will about you know football lines and things like that, but like oh, fans no. loved it. <laughs> I, I think the fans were bored, and that's why they made a beer snake. But the defenders showed they were willing to put money in Audi Field that DC United wasn't, and that was huge. There's a giant advertisement board that I'm pretty sure the defenders put in there for Verizon. The the netting across for the you know that the supporters can now use to put up TIFO. DC United wasn't going to get around that anytime soon, and the defenders were throwing money at it. Uh, and DC United was getting the gate and the beverages and the food for all those games. Well, that's the that's, best part about that beer money. snake, right? I mean, all that money was going right in DC United's pocket. <laughs> And now we just got to pay the staff with that money. <laughs> like, in DC United's defense, they're also paying for the stadium, right? They're paying back that loan. The XFL defenders were not doing that. So, like, yes, I think as fans, we'd all like to see DC United, like, move on things a lot more quickly. You know, they did put in that safe standing that everyone was asking for. I mean, again, we'd like to see a lot of different things, like the roof and, you know, things like that being finished. But I do want to give them a little bit of credit that, like, the defenders might have had money that DC United is like legitimately spending elsewhere. I just want a video. I just want a video board for replays on both sides. I'm a simple guy. Uh, did y'all? <laughs> did either any of y'all attend a, an XFL game? I know I went to one and had a good time, but uh, wasn't necessarily going to become a rabid DC Defenders fan. Yeah, me and Sam went to to one half of one half of a game, and it was a fun experience that. Uh, I don't know. It, it wasn't talking, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I also wonder, like, what the reception is was in other uh, cities. You know, I'm not the biggest football fan out there. I would never claim to be. But also, obviously, like, there's a lot of controversy with the Washington professional football team. And I think that that potentially, like, drove a lot of fans to the defenders. So I, I couldn't even – I think there was also, like, a Seattle team, and Seattle has a professional football team. So I couldn't even tell you what the other cities in XFL were and if they already had football teams. But, you know, I wonder what that fan base looks like. Well, and, you know, obviously this is a, a 
soccer podcast, so we're not going to, you know, go too deep into football and the impact it has there. But, you know, it's kind of strange to think about. But it, it wasn't, you know, what, 20 years ago where MLS was in a very similar situation. If this current virus crisis had happened in 2000, it's quite possible that MLS would have folded. They were in a very different situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we're super unfortunate again i don't know a whole lot about xfl and you know some people are like oh i saw this coming but i certainly didn't and i think that they potentially would have gotten at least a couple more years out of it so yeah it, it yeah, seems we should all kind of be counting our blessings for sure I, from the reporting that i saw about the xfl they they at least had the funding for another year or so pre-coronavirus like out of the gate that was what they had but this just kind of took all the the wind out of the sails but you're right uh black like for many many years you know Major League Soccer could have could have gone under with something like this, and there's a part of me, you know, I, I don't think it's totally gonna die, but it will be interesting to see if if you know, God forbid, we like lose this entire season, what does that do to the trajectory that the league's on? At least, right? I mean, with with some of the expansion teams coming in, and and you know, I, I think it's fairly common knowledge uh, amongst big MLS fans like us that the the biggest source of revenue for the league the past couple of years has been expansion fees. And so if, if those go away potentially, uh, you know, cause there's, there's maybe not money to do that in other cities. What, what, what happens to this league? I, I think it sticks around, but does growth dramatically slow as far as like new teams coming in? Like what, what might some of these after effects be? Well, and you know, fortunately I think the league agreed to a, collective bargaining agreement before the season started that will carry them through the next several seasons so you're not having to negotiate that but part of that is an increase in payroll and if you've got a league that's missing most or all of a, a season potentially you know that starts to, to put a pressure on a lot of the teams much like you saw back in uh, the, the 90s for the early yeah, years it was also league. an increase in a lot of like owner spending you know those charter flights that was kind of a highlighted thing that was potentially not the biggest winner loss on either side, but that was something that was majorly highlighted. I don't remember. I think it was eight legs overall this season. And then I think it was supposed to increase to 16 or something like that. And they might have to off. charter fans to away games to, to meet that threshold this season, depending on Maybe, how short yeah. the season is. <laughs> but, you know, like we're talking about, you know, the variety of owners and are they still going to be able to kind of meet those potential spending you know minimums or are we going to see a lot of teams being sold in recent years like i just don't know but in upcoming years but it's, it's interesting you know to, to bring up old school mls because sam sent us an awesome uh twitter video this week about the old school shootouts and I, i'll be the first to say i was not a major league soccer fan when when that was happening but i'll let one of you guys take us through the the craziness that used to be uh mls shootouts well, well, I will say, as I stall to bring up this thing, is that we were, like, all children when MLS was first being started um, in 1996. So, you know, none of us were there in the quote-unquote glory days or when it started or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, it was crazy, I think, from, you know, we were, as we just said, it was kind of, you know, where XFL is right now. Um, before we talk about shootouts, I want to shout out the MLS in 96 Instagram handle. This is um, what I sent them all, and they have a little newspaper clipping there that says, buy your family a major league soccer team. 
And it's basically stating that um, there were 26 cities or 28 cities, excuse me, that had initially put in a bid for an MLS team, but the league was only committed to 12 of them. So they were essentially asking people within those 28 cities to put in a refundable $75 season ticket deposit. Um, and the newspaper clipping kind of says that the league would determine or they would use how many deposits were placed within the 28 cities to kind of determine like the popularity of the team in the city and what cities would eventually be picked. Um, do you think, I don't know. I mean, that just sounds crazy to kind of do it that way, right? Well, and now you're hitting that 30 teams. I mean, I think MLS would probably have liked it to happen a little bit earlier, but it is what it is. You know, for yeah, me, I, mean, I, I wonder what those other cities were. I'm yeah, sure for me, I, didn't, I did not grow up in an MLS city. I, uh, the biggest soccer team we had was an A-League side. So we saw our fair share of shootouts when it came to Open Cup games or things like that. Yeah. It was it was kind of an exciting format. Uh, I'm not particularly partial penalties myself. So to see you know the attackers start you know, 30, 45 yards from goal, run at the keeper, you've got one move, a couple seconds to try to make it happen. Yeah. I, I think it, I appreciate that there were you know attempts to innovate there. So it I, sounds, I'm not also the biggest hockey fan, but it sounds like it was pretty similar to hockey. It says that the rules were if the game is tied at the end of regulation, the shootout would determine the winner. Um, a win via shootout is worth one point compared to three points for just an outright win in regulation. Um, the shootout would feature a best of five scoring system. Offensive players will start with the ball 35 yards away from goal and have five seconds to get it in the back of the net. Um, and the video that John alluded to that I shared was like current MLS players watching feed, like videos of these shootouts and they were all just astonished. They were like, wait, this is how things used to go? Like, what did you all think watching that video? Well, particularly when you saw, you know, I think they had a couple of keepers who were actually the ones taking advantage of the opportunity to snag a bit of glory there from the offensive side. I do miss it to some extent. It's funny. I mean, we talked about Sunderland until I die earlier and like watching the, the, the check trade final again this morning when I finished up the series, you know, and, and seeing penalties. It, every time I watch a penalty shootout, I just think of like, this is awful. I hate, I, I, I hate that it comes down to this. I mean, it shows how close two teams are, but like, it's just the worst way to get to a winner. And, and, you know, been on both sides of it as a fan, right? Um, but yeah, it, it it does. It's it's more fun, I think, probably the the way that uh, you know MLS used to do it. I I don't know if it is something I would you know hate as a way to determine a result any less than a shootout is today, though. I mean, it's just you know obviously the goalkeeper gets to move a little more, so like in theory, you have probably a better chance to defend than having to stand your line and guess right essentially. But um, it's just an awful way to, to, to declare I mean, a victor. Yeah, and it's still essentially a one-on-one. -on -one. And think about any time you're watching a live soccer match and the offensive player gets a breakaway and it's a one-on-one -on -one with the keeper, like, you always assume that the offensive player is going to score that. And if he doesn't, that's, like, a major blow, almost in the same way as if you get a PK in the run of play and somebody misses that PK shot and it doesn't go in. Like, it's a major blow to the team, so I wonder... I mean, it's a different, like, format, but is it even really that different? Well, and, you know, you've had some of the innovations they brought in, you know, Americanized the game a little bit. Like, we're the only league that has a playoff to determine your championship, as far as I know. You've got cup tournaments and, you know, relegation uh, permission. 
playoffs, but you know, that was an innovation Lily brought in. I was not a big fan of the countdown clock, you know, particularly in the modern VAR era. I can just imagine trying to piece that all together. It, it seemed like a total mess, but you know, there, there was some exciting stuff in that, that time. Yeah, I think I heard an interview with like old 96 players were talking about how they didn't even really like realize, yeah, I mean, you know, they're play, them playing with a countdown clock was just so natural. And they were talking about how like the, the ref would motion to like actually stop the clock. I mean, you can see even now the ref will kind of like motion that he's stopping the clock for like serious injuries, but like the clock on the scoreboard was the clock that determined it. And you know, the referee would say, like, okay, stop the clock. And, like, fans could see the clock stop, but they could essentially, like, I don't know, count down to the end of the game, which is, like, very different from now standing in the stadium when, you know, you see the stoppage time go up. I always, like, get one of my friends, and I'm like, someone start a timer because I can't deal with not knowing. And then I'll be like, how much time is left? Like, if you have three minutes, you know, I want to know, like, as close to how much longer we're playing as possible. But back then, you just knew it was on the clock. You know, and this was you know, the glory era for, for DC United. I attended my first DC United game in the playoffs in, in 2004, so well after the kind of initial phase of the league was going. But what, DC won three of the first four championships, so clearly the format worked well for, for the team that we we're a little bit partisan to. I think it's worth noting, too, that our coaches at that time were for Serena and Bob Bradley. Yeah, I mean, given that evidence, I think we should just go ahead and bring it back because clearly it's uh, it's something that DC United is, is effective at. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, just bring back whatever will get us another trophy, I guess. Although not the MLS Cup at a neutral location. I think we've established and Twitter has weighed in that clearly it's something that should be earned. And we Listen, to... we just said we need to bring all back the things that – Brought us the cups, and DC United won the cups in a neutral stadium. That's all I'm saying. We're all talking about how much we miss traveling right now. So. Hashtag Team Sam bringing yeah, out all the stops. At this point, I rewatched the '96. <laughs> I watched the '96 final, and it was in New England for DC United LA Galaxy during a hurricane, like a nor'easter was hitting. So you know, let's just go with you know home team earns it, and like. <laughs> put it somewhere ridiculous like that again i also recall when it was played at rfk and dc united wasn't playing and you could still hear the chance of like dc united they weren't even playing and that to me like that's part of what brought me into the dc united that's like, because you're, you're just weird that <laughs> <laughs> it was great that they were that passionate that even though they weren't playing they were cheering for their home team and that's what sold me well, you know, obviously the league has grown quite a bit from its kind of meager beginnings. You know, these franchises are highly valued. These are, you know, the expansion is huge. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in some future episodes and what the league is going to look like moving forward. But it's kind of cool to think back on, you know, where this league came from, particularly considering DC United dominated yeah. their, their early years. Especially when you talk about kind of the, the difference, you know, MLS was kind of created um, off the back of the, was it the 94 World Cup that was in, uh, the 94 Men's World Cup that was in um, the U.S. and the league was kind of built off that. And then, I mean, the league kind of establishing itself in, in as soccer in America, they had different rules based on, you know, what everyone else had in the rest of the world. Um, even kind of silly rules 
not even just like playoff rules, but you know, I think all DC United fans, even if you weren't around for that point, you kind of know the story of like keeper substitution, where if your keeper was injured, you used to be able to sub out the keeper. And then lo and behold, the New Jersey Red Bulls decide, I don't think they were the Red Bulls at the time, but they figured out a way to circumvent the rule and kind of- That's so much right. Like they had players switch into the goalie jersey and then they got subbed and then they had them pack out of the goalie jersey. So they like got that fourth sub, even though they shouldn't have. Um, and then that player ended up scoring kind of the game winning goal. Um, so, you know, obviously you have to think about that DC United player, but we kind of did soccer differently in America from the beginning. Not having been a part of that, look back and see all that the league is doing to highlight that right now. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see. You know, the the league, especially taking advantage of of there's no live games, right? So to to really highlight this and and play some of those those historic games, and I, I think, um, you know, it's it's something that now in today's world where you know we we have some of us still have high expectations for the U.S. men's national team. You know, it'd be, it'd be tough to see that, you know, we were playing with different rules, even if they weren't all that different, you know, here at MLS, I think the, the, the level playing field across the world and, 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 you know, the, that helps grow the game here even more, you know, and, and players leaving and, and playing overseas, coming back to the league here, coming back to the national team. Um, it, it, it would, it would definitely be jarring to go back to some of those rules. I think when we, when we think about player transfers and, and, uh, international games and things like that so closing thoughts uh from any of y'all what, what, what should we do we doing this week i know i have my homework to watch uh the english game mm-hmm. definitely you know and, and if any of our listeners have ideas for other soccer related shows or just shows in general please you know hit us up on twitter you know use the hashtag tried and true dcu we have to find something to fill our time with so please give us ideas yeah, it kind of, you know, it's unfortunate that we dubbed ourselves as a post-game show and then games completely went away. Um, I did want to fact-check myself just for anyone who's listening who did want to take advantage of that um, payment deferral for season ticket members. So if you're on kind of the monthly payment plan, um, email says that you're able to defer the April payment. Um, and you have until April 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern time to do so. So I would, that's just a couple of days away from where we're recording, when we're recording right now. Um, so if you want to take advantage of that, I would let your ticket rep know immediately. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Sam. Definitely good uh, Good to hear that the, that the front office is trying to do that because obviously there's there's a, there's a lot of us that are in a, a tough place right now financially and, um, and, and, and every little bit helps. Um, speaking of which, if, if you do have uh, the means, I'll, I'll, I'll push right in during the last show. Please support your local uh, businesses, your local restaurants, bars that are open uh, during this time. Um, I know there's a lot of good deals going on right now that, that we've been taking advantage of, uh, especially on alcohol with restaurants trying to get rid of their stock um, and, and still selling food and, and opportunities to, to tip the staff and the folks that are trying to make it through until we get to the other side of this when I think the entire world uh, is, is going to go out to the bar whenever that day is. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. Um, so, so thanks, everyone, for, for joining us today. Um, I thought we had uh, a great time with O'Neill Fisher. Really enjoyed being on the show. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week right here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. The bad news is that everyone is a potential victim. And the good news is that 